the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And... Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sake on Air the world's number one podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue around Japan's iconic beverages of sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts. I'm one of your regular hosts here on the show, and we actually have something a little bit different for you in store this week. Or I guess I should say a couple of somethings. This week, we actually bring you a double episode delving specifically into the impact of COVID-19 on the sake industry here in Japan and how that impact is likely to ripple across the international market. The entire nation of Japan, while never undergoing any sort of a formal lockdown, was officially placed on a state of emergency as of April 7th, a state which then continued until May 31st, with the country gradually easing restrictions over the several weeks that followed, leading to a complete reopening on June 19th. During this period, restaurants and izakaya were requested to limit their hours of operation to 8 p.m. while closing all alcohol service by 7 p.m. This, combined with the request to refrain from any unnecessary travel and to shift to teleworking whenever possible, transformed how people shopped, dined, and of course, accessed and consumed sake and shochu. Small sake producers reported drops in sales of anywhere from 20 to 80% or more. Those dependent upon distribution and sales to dining establishments for a majority of their product were hit particularly hard. While sales numbers have been gradually recovering since June, the numbers are far from returning to quote-unquote normal, and the number of positive test cases for COVID have also been on the rise. As a result, dining establishments have again been asked to curtail their hours of operation for the month of August, closing by 10 p.m with particularly dense dining and entertainment districts of places like Osaka being asked to cut back their hours of operation even further. As frontline sales, dining, and distribution tend to get a lot of the attention, it's actually the beverage's agricultural ties and the particular timing of the pandemic which might actually prove to result in an equally devastating fallout further down the road. We've actually talked about doing a show of this nature since the harsh reality of what the world is up against started to really set in back in early spring. However, we held off for a couple of reasons. One, the sake industry has in particular been hit very hard, and the makers, distributors, restaurant owners, rice farmers, and those at all levels of the industry, to be honest, had more than enough to be concerned with. We decided that we could wait. The second reason being that while there are a lot of numbers floating around at the moment, the reality is that there's a lot we just don't know. To be honest, we're still waiting on a lot of answers, and these pair of episodes, they're not going to provide a quote-unquote answer for you either. The impact of the past six months isn't truly going to manifest itself for some time to come. However, we do feel a responsibility to sake lovers around the world to share what we do know, which is why over the past couple of months we've been conducting a series of short interviews as well as discussing this reality amongst ourselves in order to hopefully help paint at least somewhat of a picture as to where we stand here at the end of August 2020. For part one, 
we've arranged a series of excerpts from five different interviews that we conducted with individuals here in Japan that are in a position to offer particular insight into the impact of COVID-19 on certain pockets or channels of the sake industry. For part two, Christopher Pellegrini, John Gontner, Sebastian Lemoine, and myself gather virtually to share and discuss personal anecdotes from our experience looking at, working in, and supporting different facets of the industry over the past several months. We recommend first giving part one a listen, as these voices are going to be closer to what you might call an official word, and should help provide context for our discussion in part two. So, in this episode, we hear from five different individuals. The first is Mr. Yoshiro Okamoto, who is the vice president of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. He is then followed by Mr. Koichi Saura, who is the 13th generation president of the Saura Company, makers of Udakasumi brand sake. He is also co-chairman of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. Our final three guests all represent sake wholesalers and retailers of very different scale, each with strengths in different segments of the market. I'll tell you more about these three individuals and companies a bit further into the episode. So for now, let's get started. We're first going to be joined by Mr. Yoshiro Okamoto, who is the Vice President of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association, which is the entity responsible for supporting Japan's entire industry of sake and shochu breweries and distilleries with both domestic and international promotion, facilitating education for sake and shochu categories across the globe, and also supporting the technological advancement of breweries and distilleries throughout Japan. We join Mr. Okamoto as he is discussing the initial decreases in shipments and sales across different markets back when the pandemic was first starting to take hold. Since the beginning of 2020, sake exports had become decreasing to Korea and China especially. From January to April, the volume of sake being exported has reduced more than 30% compared with the same period in uh, 2019. Sake shipments here in Japan has also declined about 20% in April. In particular, premium sake has decreased about 40% due to the restrictions on restaurants and bars. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, So then how has, over the past couple of months, how has the role of JSS changed or evolved? JSS was uh, scheduled to take part in uh, several major industry events uh, this past spring, including ProVine 2020 in Dusseldorf and FoodEx, one of Japan's largest food and beverage exhibitions. These events have, of course, been postponed because of COVID-19. We've had to either cancel or postpone almost every event we were scheduled to take part in for most of the year. Uh, On the JSS side of things, have any unique new measures been taken or any new policies put into place to address some of the specific issues that have come about over the past few months? Yes, the impact from COVID-19 is already proving to be much more serious than the East Japan earthquake of 2011. Our challenge now is to find new ways to promote sake and shochu. 
we are looking seriously into online platforms, social media, virtual sake events and seminars, both in Japan and abroad, as well as new e-commerce channels. And so what sort, I'm curious then, what sort of specific requests are you hearing from breweries with regards to support? Some breweries are requesting financial help. This uh, coming October, there will be a 10% tax reduction on sake, followed by a further 10 reduction, 10% reduction in 2023. We are hoping that this will be a good chance for sake breweries to rebound from the stagnation. Are there some breweries that seem to be struggling more than others as a result of this? Yeah, the impact uh, COVID-19 does uh, differ between each sake and shochu brewery. A brewery whose sales are concentrated more locally might be experiencing uh, less damage. On the other side, a brewery which depends mainly on sales at high-end restaurants and bars in Tokyo or abroad could likely be much more seriously affected. That's interesting. So I'm curious then how that translates to scale. Due to the constraints being put on uh, consumer drinking behavior by COVID-19, people are drinking sake and shochu not out in bars and restaurants, but at home. And uh, in many cases, are buying the sake available at the supermarket nearby. As a result, larger producers in Nada or Fushimi, for example, might be less damaged. Are there any examples or events from recent history that have sent similar types of shockwaves through the sake industry in Japan? When the huge earthquake occurred in March 2011, many sake breweries in Eastern Japan were destroyed or suffered a great deal. Of course, we did all we could to help them as much as possible. But the support that was most important was that of sake customers. The, they uh, supported sake makers continuing to go out and purchase and enjoy their product. Following COVID-19, we'll uh, probably have to adjust new, uh, new normal. We'll be paying uh, close attention to consumer trends to inform us about where we should be investing our resources to promote second church in the future. We must overcome this difficult time together with sake and shochu makers, customers, and distributors. Looking forward, could you share JSS's current outlook for the industry at this point? Uh, what has JSS learned from the experience and how will that influence your approach to addressing industry-wide disruption like this in the future? Yeah, we have no control over the coronavirus so we'll be keeping a close eye on how the situation evolves over the coming month. As I mentioned, on the 1st of October, the liquor tax reduction for sake 
will go into effect, which happens to also be International Sake Day. There's be, gonna be a net and flow of the market. We'll be continuing to do what we can to support a rapid recovery. Mr. Okamoto, thank you so again so much uh, for your time. I know how busy you are and how much you're having to deal with at the moment. So uh, we really appreciate uh, your time and your insight. Thank you very much. Said, we will we'll check in with you again maybe yes. in a year and we'll <laughs> and we'll see where we're at. We'll see how it's changed and we'll uh, we'll we'll keep tabs on how how things change and evolve. Thank you very much. It's up to you. <laughs> we'll we'll keep doing what we can. Again, thank you so much. Thank you so much. In our next interview, we're joined by Mr. Koichi Sauda, who is the 13th generation president of the Sauda Company and makers of Udakasumi brand sake. He is also the co-chairman of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. Udakasumi is basically synonymous with sake, both domestically and internationally, not only because of their quality, but also due to their market penetration that extends both deep and wide. To provide a bit of context, Udakasumi has two breweries in Miyagi Prefecture, the first which was established back in 1724. And the Sauda Company now ranks within the top 10 sake makers in Japan by volume, producing approximately 1,900 kiloliters annually. About 30% of Udakasumi sake is distributed and sold locally in Miyagi, with about 60% traveling to the greater Tokyo area. Sauda Sun has been instrumental in helping to develop channels for the expansion of sake overseas, not just for Udakasumi, but for the category as well. Right now, about 2-3% of Udakasumi products are distributed internationally, with their largest presence in North America and the UK. We join Saura-san as he begins by taking us back to February, where he shares with us the challenges of the past six months. Since mid-February, many events abroad started to get canceled or postponed. In March, the COVID-19 started to spread faster, forcing many people to confinement, while the number of consumers going to restaurants dropped significantly. Our customers are in a large population corporate with restaurants and izakayas, so our sales also started to drop down. As the time needed for the global situation to go back to normal will be longer than expected, we began to evaluate several ways to counter the effects of the virus for the sake market and our community in mid-March. So then with things sort of starting back in February, um, could you then sort of walk me through what the past couple of months have been like? Um, at what points in time did you decide or were you forced to implement certain measures? And which of those measures do you feel have been effective and sort of how is that playing out at the moment? In mid-March, we implemented a thorough enforcement of safety and hygiene measures. Moreover, in order to minimize sales reductions, I instructed my staff to do two main lines of action. What can be done now and what can be prepared for when the crisis ends? First, we tried to supply our customers in confinement by providing them smaller and more affordable sizes. Second, we gathered information for our partners 
to respond more efficiently to the takeout demands and provided them with takeout sake cups. Third, we tried to provide seasonal products with smaller sizes in addition to the current 1.8 liter and 720 milliliter sizes. However, as visit to our partners was restricted under the COVID-19 circumstances, we could not carry out enough promotional activities. We also started new efforts to promote our sake via internet. For example, our international sales manager made online tasting events and sake seminars. And we implemented virtual visits using Instagram lives to introduce our main brewery. We are also striving to offer an internet shop to our customers by the coming fall. Moreover, Rakasumi has always been active in the local communities to provide support and assistance. Therefore, we also initiated a project to distribute hand disinfectants to the city of Shiogama and Higashimatsushima. So you mentioned um, creating different size products and making those available, which I know that a lot of breweries have been trying to work with host wholesalers and distributors in order to get new products um, to the consumers at home. Um, what has that process been like and sort of how has it gone? Were there different, I'm curious if there were different challenges or bottlenecks in preventing those offerings from happening and sort of how you've worked to resolve, resolve those? To increase sales for home consumption, we try to increase availability of smaller size products, especially in supermarkets. However, the big size paper box sakes were sold well for confinement consumption. A lot of breweries provided sakes with Amabie label, do you know that? That is believed to procure disease dispersal benefits. We also followed this initiative by using 300 milliliter bottles products. And we are introducing resizing measures for the seasonal products to be more accessible by home consumers. For example, we are now offering the Junmai Natsuzake in a 300 milliliter size as supplement to the product lineup. However, two big issues still remain. Affordability for our customers as a unit price of a smaller size product is more expensive comparatively to the larger size products. And profitability for my company as a shipping cost is becoming high. We are striving to solve them through different internal strategies. So then as a brewery, you have all those things to contend with, but um, I know that you are also serve as co-chairman of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association as well. Um, what has your role been like in bridging the demands of your own brewery alongside the needs of the nation's breweries? And what have those communication channels um, look like, both between breweries on a local level as well as a national level? As a co-chairman of JSS, I'm in charge of the committees regarding domestic sales promotion and international strategies. With the COVID-19 crisis, JSS could not have meetings of those committees for collecting information or demands from the sake makers and the market during the confinement period. 
several demands from the local sake makers in their endeavors were made to the JSS, mainly via the local sake makers association. And JSS asked the government for such support. Of course, I delivered the request which were asked personally from the colleagues sake makers to JSS as a bridge. I'm curious, um, a lot of the focus, a lot of the outward communication is really talking about the sake, um, but I feel like this is going to have an impact on the agricultural sector as well. Um, what's, your, what's your outlook for what you think that will look like um, with regards to farming and the agricultural sector in the coming seasons? With the COVID-19, the shipments are decreasing, causing the storage space for sake to reach maximum capacity in many breweries. It also depends on the demand for Japanese sake after the crisis, but we are expecting a need to reduce sake production for the next fall. The rice quantity we are buying in the coming fall is hard to change at this point of time. So, this rice will have to be properly stored, if not fermented, and adjustments will have to be made for next year. The other problem we are facing is that if we once reduce our rice orders, we might not be able to secure the proper quantities needed for the following years. This creates an important issue of uncertainty. You said the rice will have to be properly, properly stored if not fermented. Um, you just mean that if it's not going to be used in brewing or in production, correct? Yeah, because right. uh, we, it is difficult to change the amount of uh, rice purchase for this fall. Yeah. So we have to buy and we have to uh, store it by ourselves or ask to the uh, agri the uh, agricultural association to keep it in a proper way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's going to prove not just, not only cost, but also the energy needed in order to store and keep a lot more sake and rice. That's going to be rather cost prohibitive, it seems like. Yes, yeah. In the end, anyway, we have to, uh, we have to, by less amount of uh, rice for the next year because we didn't uh, yeah. we didn't reduce the amount this year which and means that the real impact yeah that you're going to be feeling is not between now and next march but yeah. from next march to the following year is when that's going to start to really play out in the market then yeah okay how does this translate to export? Um, what does your outlook on export look like um, for the foreseeable near future anyway? China, Taiwan, and Korea were more efficient in the crisis management this time. So we are expecting a re-establishment of those markets relatively soon. The economy of the occidental countries, on the other hand, will need more time than Japan to recover. And many restaurants will only open partially from July. I'm afraid that distributors will their storage space at full capacity and will need to sell those products before making new orders. This means that compared to last year, 
most breweries will suffer a sales decrease. The other day, we made a Zoom meeting between Japan and European sake collaborators, and I found that most of them have put a lot of efforts in developing their internet sales, testings, and promotions to face the COVID-19 shock. Many new initiatives, such as supermarket sales expansion or creating enthusiasm toward Japanese sake through original events are seen here and there. We are putting a lot of hopes in this international sake family to increase awareness in sake. Speaking with Saura-san, it's clear that at least a temporary market decline is a future that we'll likely be unable to escape and that breweries are going to be faced with having to make significant investments just to be able to write out the new reality that they'll be facing for the foreseeable future. Looking ahead into the future, Saura-san is clearly considering both the ramifications as well as the various measures he and other breweries will likely have to adopt. As parties or dinners with a big number of people are expected to be refrained for the time being, I believe that drinking home promotions are becoming more important. However, I'm afraid that we may not be able to prevent the contraction of sake consumption as a whole. Everything will also depend on the speed of the recovery of the economy and the market. But there is no doubt that we will have to decide to reduce the overall production for the next season. A drastic reduction in raw material purchase may result in a reduction of quality and rice growing capacity for the future. We will be required to continue purchasing approximately the same amount of rice while improving the storage of raw materials to prevent market disturbance. These measures will require a lot of capital and funding, so we will need to request support from the government such as the Ministry of Agriculture. Of course, our priority remains in satisfying the changing lifestyle of customers, introducing new ways to enjoy sake, and providing smaller size products. And I'm, I realize this is you know, an ongoing challenge and that this is something we're not going to get through the other side of any time in, in the relatively near future. Um, and while it's still ongoing, I'm curious, um, what have been your takeaways sort of from this experience? What have you learned uh, over the past couple of months? Yeah, as our company is facing the Pacific Ocean, we severely damaged by the Great Eastern Japan earthquake and tsunami in 2011. At that time, we learned the importance to prepare for the possible disaster in advance to keep for the brewery survive. The COVID-19 is perhaps a different type of natural disaster with its different types of threats and challenges. How can we protect our employees from getting infected? How can we protect our market in the actual conditions of consumption limitation? And how can we manage risks in this business environment? Those are all questions we are facing and many of them lack in getting the right answers yet. In our company, or perhaps I should say 
in our industry as a whole, we have to bring our knowledge together to find the new solutions and the new paths to continue to promote sake for the years to come. In closing, Saudasan offers a bit of hope, sharing with us all the importance of our role as fans and lovers of sake and shochu, and what we can do in order to raise consumer awareness and promote healthy consumption as we transition into the phase ahead. I think many consumers drink sake in the restaurants and the izakayas, but not much in uh, at home. So I think it is very important to promote home consumption and uh, to advise them how to enjoy sake in, in, uh, at home, I think. So it is more important to issue for the uh, domestic promotion. And internationally, I think, as I said earlier, so many uh, sake collaborators in the world are very optimistic for the future of sake. So now they started to do many things. So I think that is good news for us for the future. Next, we're joined by Takahiro Ibaragi, who is the manager of the International Sales Division of Nihon Shudui Hanbai. Nihon Shudui Hanbai, which is often abbreviated as Nishuhan, literally translates to Japan alcohol sales. And in the case of Nishuhan, that's a very accurate description, as roughly 85% of their product lineup consists of alcoholic beverages and they serve as one of Japan's largest wholesalers of Japanese sake and shochu, as well as a wide selection of international labels, where combined they have roughly 2,600 accounts and distribute roughly 100,000 different products across Japan, as well as some for export. Established in 1949, because of their volume, Nishuhan is able to serve a lot of Japan's larger producers as they are able to place product into high-volume channels such as supermarket chains and convenience stores. Nishuhan alone is responsible for handling about 27% of Japan's shochu. We pick up with Ibaragi-san as he shares with us the nature of the shifts in the market that Nihon Shudui Hanbai has witnessed over the past several months. So I'm curious, in what areas of the alcoholic beverage market have you seen significant shifts over the past couple months? And have you noticed any changes uh, as the situation has developed and evolved? Uh, first of all, I'd like to express my deepest sympathy to everyone who have been struggling with the damage of COVID-19. This is a tough situation that I hope things get better soon. The Japanese government issued a state of emergency declaration in early April requesting the people to stay at home if possible, and instructed izakaya, restaurant, and bars to limit their hours of operation. Even though it wasn't the first lockdown, people generally very cooperative and refrained from dining out. Many companies, including ours, encouraged and supported work from home. As a result, off-market sales has increased while on-market sales has drastically decreased. This sudden change resulted in the market caused in a significant shift in the item balance. In Japan, home drinking and online drinking party have become a common vocabulary. However, we are beginning to see examples indicating that over-drinking at online drinking party is becoming a social problem because there's no barrier of inconvenience of having to travel. 
you're starting to see patterns of excessive drinking. My colleague often drinks too much at the online drinking party and has to work with a hangover. <laughs> I've been seeing that as well in yeah, places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is becoming a more common, a more common yes. experience. I, yes, I exactly. <laughs> yeah. So then over the, um, over the past couple of months then, are there any category-specific trends that you've been noticing? For example, sake in relation to beer, shochu, uh, other spirit categories or um, RTD type products? Yeah, on trade products such as bottled beer, just beer, whiskey, and wine, especially fried wine or champagne, has been hit very hard. Regarding to sake, many brands that rely mostly on the Horeca market, specialty stores, and department stores are in a similar bad situation. On the other hand, RTD and low priced canned beer are growing reflecting the increase in drinking at home. Although it is slightly below the previous year, Shochu is doing well, thanks to the camp system supported by Processor Fund. Interesting. Um, and just for our listeners, just to clarify, for those who don't know, the uh, Horeka, uh, the Horeka mm -hmm. refers to hotel, restaurant, cafe. Yeah. Correct, for those who, aren't, who may not be yeah. familiar. Um, so then what sort of differences are you starting to see or changes or shifts are you beginning to see with regards to point of sale? Uh, right now, e-commerce, supermarkets, and drug stores are performing well. Convenience stores is flat and the Horeca market is declining dramatically. Please largely dependent upon tourists, such as large department stores or duty-free shops are also struggling. Although supermarkets are generally doing well, their performance differs greatly depending upon the location. Stores in residential areas within walking distance are performing particularly well. That being said, due to the sudden increase in demand for certain products, some supermarkets are unable to keep products in stock. On the other hand, supermarkets targeting large areas are struggling as are stores located in and around train station because of the decrease in the train passengers. Regarding convenience stores, stores in urban areas are really suffering because working from homes has dramatically reduced the office population. Drug stores show similar trends. Areas of Tokyo that receive a lot of international visitors such as Asakusa, Shibuya, and Shinjuku areas have also seen a drop in sales due to the decrease in foreign tourists. It's no secret that a great number of businesses across many different sectors in Japan still largely rely upon face-to-face -face interaction. This is very much true when it comes to the sake industry. While certainly valuable with regards to building and maintaining relationships and mutual trust, these practices have simultaneously impeded even many large corporations from investing in the kinds of technology designed to streamline operations and speed up communication, many of which are now taken for granted in other industries or even similar industries in other parts of the world. Ibaragi-san clearly recognizes that, as we will now be forced to contest with a future that includes COVID-19 and the potential for similar circumstances in the future. And adapting tools and business practices is going to be essential in order to support the industry and the producers that they depend upon. On the sales side, the emergency declaration made it difficult for us to visit clients, forcing us to shift to video conferencing using Zoom 
or Google Hangout while working from home. For us, this was a big discovery since wholesalers like us are still used to conducting a lot of business face-to-face. -face. Being able to hold meetings between breweries, retailers, and wholesalers as shared information has demonstrated to us way that we can more efficiently support our partners and clients. I think that the role of intermediate distribution like us need to change with the changes in the environment. The way that we conduct business, for example, making full use of the latest IT technology might change dramatically. However, the core business is still the same. We introduce our customers to delicious sake, the passion and the culture of the brewery, and then supply the products that reflect those values and repeat. Of course, it is important to propose sake that suits each business type. Our strength is that we have customers in all channels, such as supermarkets, convenience stores, the horeca markets, e-commerce, department stores, as well as export customers. Total sales during the corona period were 90%, down just 10% from the previous year. This is because we sell to various outlets, both on trade and off trade. We have over 300 sales staffs all over Japan, as well as overseas sales staff. About 85% of our company's sales are alcohol products. Each of our sales staff is a liquor professional as well as a professional in the wholesale business, which allows us to place products appropriately in the market. We have been in the same business for over 70 years. This isn't the first challenge we've told to overcome, nor will it be the last. In cooperation together with both brewers and retail, we just have to demonstrate that power to overcome again. Just to date it, um, we are speaking on July 17th. Um, as of July 17th, sort of looking forward, um, what's the current outlook for the alcohol beverage market uh, in the coming months? And how are you sort of adjusting your approach in order to accommodate that? I think the outlook is severe. It will be at least a year before we can restore overall performance. That being said, I think that the situation may differ depending on the business type and product category. This is particularly true for the Horeca market, as we've seen a significant decrease in the overall number of stores. I think it will be quite difficult to return to the kind of sales numbers that we were used to prior to COVID-19. With regards to the export market, then how has demand changed with regards to that over the last couple of months, and how do you anticipate that um, evolving uh, in the coming months and down the road. Yeah, uh, the export value of sake has grown every year over the past nine consecutive years. Uh, the expectation of breweries have also become extremely high. It's a big pressure for me. However, COVID-19 has had a huge negative impact on exports. As I explained earlier, I think each brewery has high expectations for the export markets because the domestic market was sluggish. For this reason, many breweries are disappointed with the impact of COVID-19. The export market, like the domestic market, they expected to remain in a difficult situation. By country, 
there are the signs of recovery, mainly in Asia, such as China and Taiwan. However, it will take time for a complete economic recovery. So I'd like to steadily increase exports without rushing. Have you noticed any sort of change in the producers' in the producers' attitudes toward export, or have you noticed anyone sort of changing their approach? I'm curious if, sort of, based on what you're seeing, if you have any sort of advice for producers that are considering or reconsidering um, their export strategy for the months or even the years ahead. After the peak of new coronavirus infection. It is said that the convergence time is one or two years. We now live in a world representing a new mixture of restrictions and freedom. It is really difficult to understand the customer's purchasing behavior because the current situation is so different from the conventional market environment. However, I feel that we need to understand the needs of customers in the environment, repeat, try and trials and errors, um, develop the flexibility to able to meet customers where they need us. We need to learn how to respond over the short term and understand how best to evolve into the new normal. This is true both domestically as well as with regard to export and new expectation and standards developing throughout international market. The liquor industry, including my company, still operates on basically an old business model, but I'm confident that it can adapt the new environment. Let's overcome this COVID-19 and expand sake into the global market. That's exactly what we're here to do, and we're going we're to keep doing what we can. Um, Ibaragi-san, thank you so much for making time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Next, we will be hearing from Sam Mitsuya who is the owner of Mitsuya Liquors, which is a sake wholesaler and retailer located in Asagaya, which is a densely populated and highly trafficked neighborhood on the west end of Tokyo. Mitsuya Liquors sits on the opposite end of the spectrum from Nishuhan, as they are a small, local wholesaler, with a large chunk of their business actually coming from direct retail. Their large focus on direct-to-consumer sales, along with their rather unique geographical location, resulted in a rather different experience from that of many other small retailers and wholesalers. Let's listen in. My name is Sam Mitsuya, and currently I have a liquor store here in Tokyo, Japan. And this business has been here for over, what, 96 years? And this is my probably about 20th year, and it's still going. And the name of the store? Uh, Mitsuya's Liquor in Tokyo, yes. And you said in Tokyo. Specifically, what sort of area and what is this area like that you're based in? This is the western part of uh, downtown Tokyo and uh, about 10, 15 minutes from like main area, tourist area in Tokyo and, and a lot of residential section. So Mitsuya Liquors mm-hmm. is... With regards to the nature of your product lineup, mm-hmm. about what percentage is is comprised of sake shochu, mm-hmm. and about what percentage would be other beverages? Basically, what is sort of the makeup of your product lineup okay. here? Okay, uh, I think we're carrying thirty percent sake, Japanese sake, thirty percent 
uh, wines mainly from California, and 30% uh, microbrewery beer, and uh, about 80% from United States, and uh, 10% of total product will be divided into shochu, uh, liqueur, and uh, everything else. So mainly sake, beer, and wine. Okay. And they're all split, split about relatively evenly, roughly. Pretty much, pretty okay. much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how much of your product then is do you distribute to restaurants and other retail outlets? And then how much of it, of your sales, is direct sales to customers that are coming, say, to the store or online sales or delivery or something of that nature? Okay, first of all, we don't do online right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, things have changed this past uh, three months, big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to uh, distribute about 40% of our total sales to bars and restaurants uh, in this area, and 60% was a regular retail customer. Mm-hmm. But now, since the uh, uh, coronavirus has been going around, mm-hmm. all these bars and businesses, you know, uh, they're shut. So we don't, we lost all those customers, but on in return, all the individual customers start coming to our store, and right now it's like 99% to the regular customers and 1% to bars and restaurants. Wow, so it's flipped that much to the point where um, almost all of your sales are now have shifted to direct retail. Yes, sir. Wow. So let's, if you wouldn't mind, I want to take a step back a mm-hmm. couple of months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, what, late February, say okay. maybe early okay. March. Okay. Would you mind just sort of walking me through what the last few months have been like? When did you first start to feel the effects of something coming on? Everybody was, first of all, right, everybody was thinking this is just a severe cold going around and all that. So we weren't really worried much. And we're delivering bars and restaurants toward the end of February and beginning of March even. But all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, those, those bars and restaurants hasn't come back. I mean, you know, we don't get ordering phone calls or anything. So we start kind of start wondering. Then TV news starts saying it's been going around big time and all that. And all the people on the streets are very uh, paranoid. And all of a sudden, they quit going to bars and restaurants. Uh, but, yeah, if you're... If you like to drink, I mean, they got to drink, mm-hmm. so they start coming to a liquor store. Was the drop-off, was it gradual, or did, what, did it happen almost overnight? Oh, it's almost like, uh, you can say it's almost overnight. I mean, of course it was gradually, but it's it's fun, you know, one night. Yeah. 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 The next day was a totally different situation. Yeah. Yeah. Initially, how did you think about approaching that challenge and then how has that sort of evolved over the past couple of months? You know, you, I mean, you know, all the TV, pro, you turn on TV and all that, and then all the program is about coronaviruses, mm-hmm. and um, they kept saying, don't go to, uh, uh, basically they're saying, don't go to bars and restaurants, sit next to each other, start talking to each other, don't do none of those. Mm-hmm. So you would automatically kind of realize that people quit going there. But since I was very lucky because I'm dealing with alcohol beverages, I mean, people who drinks, they got to drink. <laughs> they got to get it from somewhere. Yeah. So uh, I totally switched off my inventories and new inventories that I was buying in toward 
individual customers on the street rather than uh, uh, you know targeting to bars and restaurant mm -hmm. but as you know in sake business right mm -hmm. they have like huge 1.8 liter bottles mm -hmm. and it's almost impossible to keep it in your home refrigerator I mean that's a strictly target to uh, bars and restaurant so I have to reduce those inventory and not try not to buy any more though that size mm -hmm into our store. Mm -hmm. So I switched off to buying all those uh, wine bottle side mm -hmm. sakis. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just went right crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious then, so you said that pretty much almost all of your clientele shifted to direct retail. As a whole, mm -hmm. what have your sales been like? Are we looking at a 50% drop on the whole, a 30% drop, an 80% drop? Well, it's like almost 100% drop toward the bars and restaurants, yeah. but it's almost like 100% um, up toward the uh, individual. So we, as far as the sake, I mean, liquor business is a concern. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't have uh, that much drop off or anything. Yeah. So on the whole, even though you lost all of your restaurant business, mm -hmm. you were able to recover enough in direct to so consumer and direct sales stuff, yes. to basically stay about pretty much same, flat? About the same. Well, wow. Some days are like totally 20% up, 30% wow. up. But then again, some days are like 10%, 20% down. So overall, it's, 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 I would say, about the same or tiny bit plus. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you think part of it has to do with the neighborhood within which you're in? Because just for those who obviously can't see here, the neighborhood that we are in, it's a, you know, there is a residential area mm -hmm. um, here. Mm -hmm. You're sort of located on a well-trafficked mm -hmm. sort of a shopping street where you get locals as well as visitors, even though visitors were probably down during this period. Mm -hmm. It's a place that is within the walking sphere mm -hmm. that a lot of people, it's pretty easy to travel to. Um, do you think, did your location play a role of a lot of your customers? Are they local people or what's, what's, what well, luckily, like? luckily, right, we are on the shopping street. So, I mean, we have, uh, you know, enough people passing by every day. And also, uh, very next to us, there's a supermarket where you buy your vegetables and meat and groceries and all that. So, of course, I mean, on this kind of time, supermarkets are really busy because they, they, they're dealing with necessary things to live. And we're right next to it. So, you know, whoever comes to the supermarket, they'll stop by our liquor store. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So you're sort of in a prime location, not just within the neighborhood, but oh, sort of given the, yeah, having, having that yeah. supermarket right next well, door as well. Helps, That's, right? yeah, yeah, okay. There's, so with, you've had such an increase in direct retail, mm -hmm. has the type of products that people are purchasing, have those changed at all? Or what people are looking for? Mm -hmm. Do you see people, does it, seem like people are trying to budget given the current climate and say you know keep their spending down buying less expensive products are they you know maybe buying better products at home the type of things that how how is that have those pattern buying patterns changed was, if at all it was really surprising because people would people do spend i mean more in products mm. because they are so much used to going to bars and restaurants and they know how much they were spending mm. 
previously before this coronaviruses and all that. Therefore, they they you know they they're prepared to spend. So uh, you know they were spending a couple hundred yen more to buy a product. But funny thing is, this coronavirus made them realize made them realize that they're paying twice or three times more of the money at the bars and restaurants. And as far as I'm concerned, I was surprised that they didn't know that. But they, uh, I have so many customers that they have first time they have realized that they are spending more, uh, two, three times more when they go out to uh, bars and restaurants. Yeah. So they were very pleased to pay whatever they are paying to a same product at our store rather than going, going out to bars and restaurants and spending it over there. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, a $20, say, or the equivalent of a $20 bottle of sake that before maybe felt expensive in the con in the context of all of a sudden when you start saying oh wow i was spending you know 10 12 dollars for a glass of this when i was out all of a sudden that value proposition changes yeah you know 15 dollars or 1500 you can buy like you can purchase very decent sake is at the retail store but when they go out to a bars and restaurant and drink the same thing i mean you you end up paying like eight dollars which is like 800 yen to a glass you know and and, uh, i think they uh, many of them has realized that so uh, i'm really uh, curious about what the consumer is gonna take it from now on since this coronavirus is going to be a long time deal yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah. that value proposition is going to be very different in the in the minds of the consumers going forward yeah so now so right now, again, so those who can't see, we're in sort of your, your tachinomi space here, which is a space where people can gather and drink and snack and dine sort of right behind right behind the shop. This is not currently in operation. True, true, because uh, we get uh, this little area gets like really uh, uh, packed with people like, uh, you know, take a train in the morning or something, you know. <laughs> so there, this is like uh, really, I mean, it's a bad place for as far as the coronavirus is concerned. Therefore, I quit as soon as, you know, this virus is start going around. Yeah. So uh, we use this as a, a stock, uh, stockyard right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, these these types of spaces, not just here at the at your at your shop and at your establishment, but just those very those spaces that have a high concentration of people that are crowded together you know that's that's a big part of you know the dining the drinking experience here how is going forward how are you are you starting to rethink that or what that might look like or either in communication with um other bars or places that you work with or just here for yourself what what do you think that could look like going forward uh, it's it, it's really all depends, mm. but right now it, it's just I feel it's just too dangerous to reopen. Okay. Uh, so I, I just see what's uh, what's what it's going to be. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of year, never know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, as soon as uh, things get safe, I want to get this started again. Yeah. 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 So what is so. Now, at this point in time, so just to, to date this, this is, today is, what, the 19th, 20th of June? Mm-hmm. It's the 20th of June. 
the state of emergency has pretty much been more or less been cleared. People are more or less free to move about. Mm -hmm. um, restaurants are allowed to stay open until midnight. People are going out to dine. Of course, the situation has changed. Mm -hmm. um, but after having you know, gone through this mm -hmm. for the last two and a half to three months, mm -hmm. um, what has been sort of your takeaway and sort of how are you, did you learn, what did you learn from the consumer, from this experience and sort of what is that takeaway and what are you thinking about going forward? I think they've learned life in general. I mean, they've learned how to live smart. Mm -hmm. You know, rather than just uh, wandering around, going around all over the town and, uh, you know, searching for uh, bars and restaurants, you know. I mean, they, they, they learn uh, when not to and when to do it and in what manner, all that. So I think they, everybody got wiser yeah. Yeah, through this coronavirus situations. People are going to be making much more conscious choices. I guess you say their their decision making with regards to where they spend their money and where they spend their time is going to be much more thoughtful or yeah, yeah. going uh, forward. I, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I mean, whether it's good or bad, I mean, you know, I think it's people are people are thinking about people are thinking are going toward that way. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Lastly, we hear from Shinosuke Hiramatsu of the popular wholesaler and retailer, Imadia. Imadia is unique in that a majority of their business has been built around strong relationships with the restaurant and bar community, with about 80% of their annual sales being wholesale to dining establishments in a normal year. Imadia's ability to work with a rather diverse array of Japanese sake, shochu, wine, and spirit makers, and to help them to define, brand, communicate, and then get their product into the kinds of dining establishments where the owners, chefs, sommeliers, and those restaurant clientele will respect and appreciate the product has been a defining quality of their operations. As with the rest of the world, many restaurants have been forced to transition to takeout and delivery for months on end, and the way that people drink and dine has certainly changed. Our previous guest touched on this as well, but it's worth noting again here that the National Tax Agency was very quick to create a system so that restaurants and bars could apply for a temporary license to pour and sell individual servings of alcohol as part of their delivery and takeout offerings, as well as sell bottles to take home. Imandia, with their close relationship between makers and restaurants, was very much in the midst of this transition to smaller formats both in restaurants as well as at retail and as part of their online platform for events and sales. The experience that they gained here will likely wind up serving them quite well, um, as well as the makers that they work with in the coming months and quite possibly years. Imadia has also worked in recent years to develop a rather significant physical presence in some high traffic areas around Tokyo, including the popular Ginza 6 building in Ginza, inside of the bustling Chiba train station, offering a standing bar for busy commuters alongside their retail storefront, as well as the Sumida store located in the Parko Shopping Center in Kinshicho. These, combined with their increased online presence, has certainly helped expand their sales channels. However, with restaurants at the core, their role as an important liaison between restaurants and producers really had to evolve during this crisis, while simultaneously they've also had to partially pivot some of their operations to more direct-to-consumer sales, 
as well as the communication channels to go along with those. Hiromatsu-san, who joins us today, is based in the offices in charge of retail management. From here, under normal circumstances, he would find himself regularly traveling to Imadia's various storefronts. Today, he shares with us a bit about the challenges and the transitions that they've had to make and are still developing. I'm curious, before and after all of this um, COVID excitement, how has online changed? Has that changed at all? Uh, yes, like online store, like before the corona, online store makes up only 7% total, uh, total sales. But uh, after, it's rocketed. <laughs> I wouldn't say like it's like half of our total sales, but uh, it definitely like, uh, increased more like rapidly. At what point, I'm sort of curious, going back a few months, what were kind of the first warning signs that communicated uh, to you that say COVID-19, that this is going to be something that was going to impact mm, not just your business, but the business yeah. of the producers that you, that you work with? Mm, there, were, uh, there are a few signs that the first stage of the pandemic, such as declining the amount of travelers or people on the streets, uh, Japanese customers evidently stopped visiting our stores, etc. But the first critical sign we thought it was going to be uh, something significant is when our sales to dining establishments saw a 70% decrease in comparison to the last year. And especially when our sellings of Tokte Meishoshu, which is premium sake, I think, uh, which we were primarily focused on, have rapidly declined in terms of sales. Okay. And when was that? That was about April then? About, yeah, April, March, at the end of March, April. Okay. Mm. And, and I'm curious, has that, now that we're in August, have those numbers started to return? Um, what is that? Gradually, like? gradually like increasing. But uh, I think this month uh, <laughs> decreased a bit. Um, and as a business, what steps did you take uh, in order to address the changes and the challenges uh, as they developed? Uh, like we've been through quite a difficult time this past few months as our sales have fallen horribly. Well, it started with a state of emergency declared by the government around mid-April, I think. Uh, though it already seemed as that people had begun to stay home before the declaration. It surely got worse since then. And two of our stores, which are one in Inza and another in Chinshijo, had to be shut for about a month due to, the, due to the, the, the closure of the department stores in Tokyo. So did the restaurants bars, uh, although some of them could continue opening, they seem to have a struggle with getting customers as like, you know, as the major part of our business is wholesale, like 80%, it was less than pleasant situation. Uh, restaurants and bars finally started reopening after the government called off the, emer uh, the, the, the emergency, emergency state at the end of May. And since then, wholesale was gradually, like, like I said, gradually rising and getting back to normal. But it seemed to me that our partners, like restaurants mainly, uh, still having some troubles regarding their sales. About 80% of your sales are direct to mm -hmm. dining establishments. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of information were you receiving from them with regards to their needs uh, and their challenges? And uh, sort of, were there any sort of specific measures that you were able to um, take or any things that you engaged in in order to try and uh, help them over the last few months? 
like we have been informed that a lot of like restaurants started a takeaway service uh, as well as like started selling bottles of alcoholic beverage because of the you know um the the temporary alcohol sales license um issued by the uh, national tax agency so in terms of enacting specific measures to this we have offered them small bottles to support selling alcohol by weight yeah i think that's the the main things that we did to the dining establishment and then i guess how i kind of want to get back to online then i guess a little bit because obviously retail um i guess took a pretty significant hit you mentioned that online jumped quite a bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did how did that how did that change during this? And how are you looking at online now going uh, going forward? So, like, according to our sales uh, online store, I think, um, but depending on month, like some months are only four hundred percent, but uh, some sometimes like it it, it marked like six hundred percent. So six times more than before yeah then the same <laughs> uh, period the previous year previous year yes yeah. and the, do you have what sort of information do you have about those customers do you know are they are these new customers are they pre-existing customers do you know much about your online clientele yeah they're mostly new customers uh, about 70 70 percent um new customers so it's 75% of they were new online customers. New online customers, right. like okay. potentially they come to our like stores, like the actual stores, yeah. and then they can't come to the, or for instance, Ginza stores, Sumida store. So they uh, purchase bottles, sake bottles or wine bottles utilizing online store. Yeah, but yeah, but even if so, that, that's a huge number to move so quickly yeah. from a physical space to a to a digital one mm. i imagine was that was that challenging in some ways uh well so we only had like four now there are four people working for online store but before like only three or two so i heard well we're, we're in a different office like the uh, online one is in a uh, chibakita which is a little bit northern part of chiba so I heard that they're like extremely busy because <laughs> you know six hundred times six hundred percent like six times more than last year. <laughs> so I only know about that. But uh, apart from that, I don't. Yeah, I can't really tell yeah. what is different and not. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know at all? sort of uh, maybe how you're looking at online going forward. So is that something that you're kind of reevaluating now um, with regards to efforts into online and digital sales? It definitely, we're putting more products on online to sell more products, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely like we're just like re reviewing, I don't know how to say that, but it's like, yeah. The online sales, yeah. Um, those temporary um, alcohol licenses, yes, um, for restaurants. Those are going to start for the people for the restaurants that applied early. Those are going to start ending pretty soon because they have a six mm -hmm. month um, limit. With regards to 
restaurants? Is it something that you feel like they are interested in? If they have the option, they would like to pursue. They would like to be able to offer those um, like smaller. Continue, uh, yeah, to like be able to offer those smaller sizes. Is that mm. were there any issues that came up along the way with regards to either getting that product to restaurants or uh, you heard from them with regards to actually providing that as a, as a service? Was there anything that? Well, in I'm terms of like selling bottles, uh, mm, like like restaurants like start selling the bottles, right? Yeah. But in fact, that there are not so many like restaurants or bars. Like from what we know about like selling bottles, uh, you know, restaurants, uh, the majority of dining establishment fail to recover from the rapid decrease of sales despite of this opportunity. Yeah. So it didn't really cause uh, to recover. Yeah. yeah. So at the, at, at the end of the day, it was, it was a, it was a nice effort, but it didn't, it, it wasn't enough, I guess you could say for. Yeah. Get, get, yeah. Get I would say it was, it was, it was something at least. Yeah. 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 Mm. They, they may find something like because of this, like because of this experience, yeah. but we're not sure yet. We're still exploring. Yeah. I know that, I mean, Imadia, I mean, you guys, because you work with so many different dining establishments mm -hmm. and, you know, you're out there, um, I know that you do a lot of collaborations. I know you have a lot of direct sort of um, relationships with the getting the producers, those bars and restaurants and those mm -hmm. consumers together. You're, you're on the move quite a bit. How are you thinking about events going forward? Um. As a lot of people argue that it would most likely be impossible to host events um, which random people gather in the new future. So the majority of events hosts may shift to online seminars like using Google Meets or Zoom. And uh, for testing events, in case they wish to host this kind of like hot testing event, there are a few ways that I can think of, like maybe provide, um, maybe uh, delivering smaller bottles and then, um, you know, let them uh, purchase the bottle, like ordering the bottle online in advance and then we deliver it and we do a small testing seminar uh, utilizing Google Meets and Zoom. And uh, in fact, there, are already, already like many online events that have been held after the declaration. Like, like, we, like we also have done a uh, couple of times. And uh, we also have been working on broadcasting videos like uh, Instagram or Facebook video and working on YouTube too, actually. <laughs> and uh, to, what well, to, like we're doing this kind of things to expand our customer base. You guys work with producers all across the spectrum from very, very super teeny tiny producers to very, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. some larger, you know, well-established producers and kind of everywhere yeah. in the middle. Um, mm -hmm. Did you notice qualities um, shared amongst producers that have proven to be strong or resilient through this? Um, or on uh, the flip side, or are there any qualities shared, say, amongst producers that seem to have struggled um, in, this in this transition? Mm. Mm. Yeah, a couple. Like breweries where the owner acts as the sake master, like yeah. CEO and sake master. Yeah. Uh, 
capable of responding to uh, changes. Like, you know, we've been through uh, quite a lot of changes uh, this past six months, six, seven months uh, in, a, in a timely manner. So it has the advantage of being able to recognize the role and act immediately, even in this situation, I think. What kind of advice are you giving to producers at this point in time? I mean, when, when they're trying to, speaking with producers, I mean, they're obviously trying to figure out what to do, mm -hmm. you know, in the coming months um, is sort of being, you know, a, in many sense, it's a, a gateway between, you know, them and the consumers. What, what's your advice to them at, at this point in time? What simply we're just telling producers messages from uh, end users and dining establishments, as well as the situation of the export market, because we also do a export, import, export too. So we're just telling the producers about the export market and we're still exploring what we can do together. This question is also like, let's see kind of yeah. question. You yeah. want to take it about it. Yeah. As you said before, it's changing so rapidly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just kind of keeping them, keeping them up to date on what's happening, yeah. where, where possibilities are right, for, mm -hmm. for, for different territories. You mentioned uh, connecting with producers and sort of doing more events and things online and making it easier for consumers to be able to mm -hmm. get closer to the product. Um, how was the response to that? Well, we we only done like quite a few times, like okay. two or three times with a winery and a brewery. Like maybe okay. three times, only three times. Okay. So we're still exploring. Okay. Uh, customers and breweries seem to be happy, like you know, talking directly uh, through online seminar. So we'll see. Maybe like it's gonna be a, it's gonna be like a big event, like twenty people or thirty people. I don't know. We're still in like only ten or fifteen people, like small online seminar. So we're still <laughs> exploring. Yeah. yeah. You said you're you said you're not doing events and tastings. Are you still at the I know like in we're, Akinaka you still you have the small drinking dining space. Um you'd offer, you know, there's usually tastings in Ginza. Can are you still doing tastings or are you just not doing events or is everything called off? Uh, we're not doing any events uh, yet, like a similar thing or workshop. Um, or even if we did, it's going to be like a really small uh, event, like only a few people, like maybe three or four people. But we always open this a small bar, Kakuuchi, uh, every day with uh, with some restrict uh, restriction. So. Whenever you come to the store, uh, you can just enjoy sake, wine, or sometimes whiskey, uh, spirits too. And uh, also, if you come to a Ginza store, there are a lot of people speaking a uh, multiple language, including Chinese and uh, Spanish too, actually. Spanish, Chinese, and English. So yeah, just randomly show up, and you can just enjoy sake at the Ginza store, and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> We, we need all the, all the consumers we can get. So for anyone in the area, <laughs> is it, how, is there, you know, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time here this afternoon. Um, if there anything that you're excited about in the coming months or if there's any kind of um, message you have for listeners. So um, we're planning on uh, having Instagram live. Like we've been doing that every month, at least once, sometimes twice. So 
I can just say like, please check or follow our Instagram. Where, what can they search for on Instagram? What's we have few accounts, okay. uh, each stores and online account. So if you do uh, Imadea, I think for even like online store will show up or you can just say uh, Imadea Ginza, Imadea Semida. Um, because of the location, we do more stuff on Ginza store. Uh, so probably if you just want to know about like a recent situation or new products and something like that, or what we have at Kakuchi, which is a small bar, uh, Ginza store is the one you want to follow. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Hiromatsu-san, thank you so much I, um, oh, for, make, you, for making time. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, take care out there. Um, best thank luck you. to you and everyone at Imadia, and we will talk to you again here very soon. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much. And that will do it for part one of this two-part special on COVID-19 and its impact on the world of sake and shochu. Part two has been released alongside part one, so you can feel free to pop over to that and continue this exploration at any time. We are still far from being out of the woods on this, so our one request of all of our listeners is just to keep on responsibly drinking sake and shochu. While doing so, you can share your thoughts and experiences with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Sake on Air, or you can mail us your questions or comments to questions at sakeonair.com. Sake on Air is made possible with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association and is most often than not broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in the heart of Tokyo. The show is a co-production between Potsuke Productions and Export Japan. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you again shortly.